You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. talking about we got bigger fish to fry the preacher said all my sins is washed away including that piggly wiggly i knocked over in yazoo i thought you said you was innocent of those charges well i was lying and the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too neither god nor man's got nothing on me now come on in boys the water is fine now let me ask you a question what you know about faith and what you know about salvation and theology, do you really think Delmar is saved? He was just going through the motions for sure, especially when you watch the rest of the movie and you realize he did, did not make a change. The truth is we have to be concerned because too many of us have done the same thing he just did. The preacher washed my sins away. That baptism pool washed my sins away. That prayer that I prayed washed my sins away. Only Jesus will wash your sins away. And that only happens when you put your trust and faith sincerely in him and commit your life to living for him. Now we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6. And in this passage, we're going to see that there are some people that will have an experience and yet they have that experience and they might afterwards look like a Christian, they might act like a Christian, but this says that it's impossible for them to be saved. That's right. That sounds a little strange from us. You know, we think anybody can be saved, but this says that it's impossible. Well, let's look at it, see what it means. In verse 4 it says, For it is impossible, that's right, I said, impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him to contempt. What's this author talking about? Who can repent? He says it's impossible if you taste salvation and fall away. Verse 4, it says it's impossible. And then it has some stuff in between that uh, kind of separates the, uh, the main subject from the verb in this. And those things are these five experiences that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But then it says in verse 7, renewing your commitment. What's impossible? Renewing your commitment when you have fallen away after tasting these experiences. And he gives us five of them. You know, some people will get just a taste of Christ. Uh, just a little sample. You know, uh, you just get a, a little bit of it. It's like going to the store. You know, they, you don't, don't do this as much as they used to. Used to be, you know, you could almost go get a whole meal at Sam's Club. You know, we, we joked about doing that sometimes. You go to Sam's Club up and down the food aisle, and by the time you're done, you know, it feels like, well, I don't need to go eat now. I've had so many samples. 
And that's almost what it's like. You go there and, and uh, you get a little taste of every little thing. What's the goal and the purpose of that is? You get that taste and they want you to buy into it. The problem is too many people get the taste and don't stick with Jesus. They don't stay with it. And so they don't want to continue on. Or maybe you go and you try on a pair of clothes. You go into the store and you try them on. And you run back to the fitting area and you put it on and then, you know, maybe you want to come out and ask people, well, how does this make me look? Does it make me look fat? How many of you have done that? And the person that you're asking, they're going, I don't want to answer this question. <laughs> and in your mind, you're thinking, well, were you fat before you put that thing on? Yes, this makes you look fat. No, you look great is what you actually say. That's what actually comes out of your mouth. But you know, we are people, we sometimes will just get a taste, but that's not enough. That's not enough of a commitment. And too many people are like Delmar. They just got a little bit of taste. A taste of what? These are the five experiences that we see in verses uh, uh, 4, 5, and, and 6. The first one is this. We were enlightened. What is that word enlightened? Well, the Greek word is photizo. You can hear the word photo in it. Photography. If you know anything about it, it's just recording light. So it's saying that you have had, uh, you have been enlightened. Now you can see what it really is. You've gotten a glimpse of what it was, and now you see a little bit more clearly. The second one, he says that you've tasted the heavenly gift. Again, we have this word taste, which is what I'm getting my whole theme from, the word taste. Uh, it's not a full meal. It's just a little taste, like going to the Sam's Club and just getting one little uh, piece of cheesecake. And you say, man, I sure wish I could go back and get more. Have you ever gone through the aisles and then go back and, yeah, you're not supposed to do that, but I've done it. Anyway, so you get just a taste of it. It's not enough. Well, what's the heavenly gift? When you think about heaven, what is the greatest gift of heaven? A lot of us, when we think of it, it's very selfish we think of it as no more suffering. Well, that's a gift. That's a part of it. You might even be a little more spiritual and say, I don't have to worry about being tempted in heaven. That's, that's a part of it too. It's a very spiritual idea, but it still is with me at the center of the gift. No, the real heavenly gift is Jesus. Being with Christ forevermore. And you say, well, how can you get just a taste of Jesus? Well, too many people, they go through the motions, they act like they've been saved, but what it really was is they were just trying to avoid hell. They were afraid of going to hell, and so they said, well, if I go through these motions, I don't have to worry about it anymore. And they think a little bit about Jesus, they think a little bit about the grace, but it's not sincere, it's not real, and so they lose it. And the third thing he says, he talks about uh, sharing in the Holy Spirit. It's like feeling the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever felt the presence of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you felt it today in worship. Maybe you felt it during your quiet time this morning. If you're a person who's committed to Christ, you're going to feel it regularly. The, the feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, even lost people can feel the Holy Spirit because they feel him tugging at their heart saying, Hey, you need to get saved. You need to transform your heart and your life by giving it all to me. Asking forgiveness for your sins. 
and Jesus will take all those sins away and the Holy Spirit will come and live within you. They get the taste because they get the tug, but they don't actually invite him in. They might go through the motions, but it's not real or sincere. And as a result, it's not enough. It's not enough. Then he talks about the taste of the good word. You know, the good word is, of course, the Bible. That's the good book, as we like to say. But who is the good word? Again, Jesus. He says, I am the word. In John chapter 1, he inspired John to write those words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so you get a little taste of it, a little morsel of it. I think of it like this. I don't know, you probably can't see here, but what is that? It's a little fun-sized Hershey bar. That's the biggest lie in the world. That is not fun-sized. I don't want that. Here, Daniel, you can have that. I don't want that. I want that. That's the fun-sized Hershey bar. No, I'm not going to eat all of this. I'm not going to eat any of this. In fact, I'm going to give it away. But that's the fun size, isn't it? Because, whoa, there's a lot there. The little bitty one, yeah, it's a a little taste. It's just a little morsel. Too many of us, we have just a a taste of the Word of God. I didn't throw that because I didn't want to hurt anybody. Uh, You just have a little taste of it. What does that mean? Well, someone shared the gospel with you and you sort of said, yeah, okay, I guess I understand. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. But they didn't ever, after being, quote, saved, take the steps in their life to grow in their discipleship and following Jesus Christ. They just tasted the good word. And then the fifth one is they tasted the powers of the coming age. The powers of the coming age. When we think about the coming age, we think of heaven and eternity. We think of the time after Christ has returned. And we get a little taste of that because Jesus has come and he's brought those powers with him. And so you might even see miracles. That's what this is. This is about miracles. You might have even seen them. But you know, a lot of people saw miracles that Jesus performed and they rejected him. Now, you might see a miracle in your life or in someone else's life, and you think that's amazing. And so then you go to him saying, I want you to fix that in my life. A lot of people who call themselves Christians, the only thing they're doing is they're getting saved so that God will make their life easier. That's not real salvation. That's not sincere. That's self-centered. That's, my life is difficult. I'm having a hard, hard time. You know, my family members are suffering or I'm suffering with an illness or my finances are all out of whack. Too many of us, uh, we want God to bless us, but we're not obedient to him. We just want him to miraculously wipe away not only all of our sinful behavior, but all of our problems as well. And then you go through the motions of getting saved and you continue on in the sinful behavior and wonder why didn't he fix all this? Well, God's not going to bless you in your sin. It doesn't work that way. That's just a taste of the heavenly power. But look again what he says in verse 4. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened. It's impossible. That word impossible is interesting. It literally means that there is no power in this. Uh, The word for it is, uh, the root of it is the same word. We get our term dynamite. What if you said it was like anti-dynamite? In other words, anti-power. 
the power is removed. He said, there's no power in this. To renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. They have fallen away. The problem is that what they're doing is they have fallen away. They've rejected all of this goodness that God is offering them. And they've left it behind. And what he says then is he says, basically, those folks are going to re-crucify Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it says there. They're re-crucifying the Son of God and building him up for contempt. What does that mean? Well, you ladies maybe at some point in your life have gotten a perm. I don't know, maybe some of you men have gotten a perm. I never did. Don't have enough hair now to think about it, but, you know, when I was a kid, I had a full head of hair, and I had friends. That was kind of a thing that guys did in the 70s and early 80s. But you, you get a, a perm, and then what happens to some people? What do they call that when it doesn't fit? It doesn't stick, rather. Their perm just falls out. Did you ever hear that phrase? Their perm fell out. In other words, it didn't stay for whatever reason. Maybe the atmosphere, the temperature, or whoever did it. You see, the thing is, it doesn't work, and you have to go back and get another one in order for it to stay. And when Jesus died for you, it was a once and for all sacrifice. Why did the temple get destroyed shortly after Christ was crucified? Because we didn't need sacrifices anymore. Jesus was the last one that was needed. The Bible says that the temple will be rebuilt as a way of showing, you know, that what Jesus had done. But the truth is, you don't need it anymore. It was a once and for all event. And so when your sins are forgiven because he died for you and you asked forgiveness and he said, yes, I forgive you, that too was a once and for all event. Salvation happens at a point in time and has lasting effects into all of eternity. I don't want to give you a Greek lesson, but over and over again in the Bible, they talk about this. And the words where they talk about people getting saved or being forgiven are always a once-in-point event that continues on for all of eternity. But if a person being enlightened and being, you know, all these five experiences fall away and reject Jesus and say, you know what, he's not for me, I don't believe in it anymore. And if they try to come back, they're re-crucifying Jesus Christ. So who's this passage talking about? It's a bit of a struggle. In fact, I'll be honest with you, more than one commentary that I read about this said this is one of the hardest passages in all the Bible to interpret. Part of it is because some of the language is difficult. Part of it is because we come at it with our own preconceived ideas where one group of people, I'm among them, that say once you're saved, you're always saved. But then others say you can lose your salvation and then come back and get it. This verse seems to totally out and out reject that idea that you can lose your salvation and then come back and get it. And I think that's a part of what's going on here. But I think what's really happening here is that he's saying it's impossible for someone who just takes a taste of the gospel and falls away. Those people are not saved. They've lost it. 
Because if they really were saved, it would be re-crucifying Christ. But since they aren't really saved, they've never been saved, the cross has had no effect in their life. And so if they come back to Christ at that point and truly sincerely believe, then they are accepting the gift of his sacrifice for the first time ever. Does that make sense? I just tried to summarize something that people have written 200-page doctoral dissertations on for years in the history of the Christian church. But what he's saying is, when you went through the motions and you took the little tastes and it wasn't real, it wasn't sincere, and you didn't fully understand it, you never fully followed through on it, and then you fell away, you weren't saved at that point. You were lost as they come. Now, if some one of your friends or a family member should come to you and tell you the gospel, and now you understand it, and now there's a real commitment, there's a real sincere understanding, and you just gobble up all the salvation, and it changes who you are, that's the first time the cross has had an effect in your life. So you're not re-crucifying Christ. He's been crucified for you one time, and as a result, you can be saved. But it's impossible for those who are faking it to be saved until they get sincere, until it's real. So look at verse 7. What does he say there? He says, For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful for those whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But it, if it produces thorns and thistles, it is a worthless it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. In other words, those who fake their way, they're either lying to us or they're lying to themselves about their salvation or maybe both. They're part of that description in verse 8. There's no real fruit growing in their life. But in verse 7, if they were sincere, there will be real fruit growing in their life. In the same way, the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and totally change you. Make it sincere and real. Would you say that you've really been changed after your baptism? Was there a real change in your behavior, your attitude about life? Because that's the first step of obedience, following Christ in baptism. The Holy Spirit will never bless you until you take that step. But once you did, did you see a change? Did you see a change in the way God works through you and in you? Did you see a change in your attitude, even towards negative things in your life? I'm not saying, were you perfect? I'm saying, did you see a change? When you sin, do you repent as soon as you can? Many people have walked down an aisle, they've gotten dunked in a pool of water, or maybe in a river or a creek or a pond, They've even spent some time in church. Who knows, maybe they even went to seminary and became a preacher. But then they fell away because it was never real and never sincere. It was always about themselves. It was always self-centered and not for the glory of God. They only got a taste of God's glory, the taste of God's word, just the taste of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they only got a taste of heaven. And a taste is never enough. If all you ever got was samples at Sam's Club, you're not going to have a good diet. 
Many people who have lied to the church or themselves, uh, maybe they never understood it in the beginning, or maybe they were just focused on themselves. So what do we do about it? <clears throat> what do you and I do about it? Because the rest of this passage is going to say, the author of Hebrews is saying, you know, I'm not really talking about all of you that I'm writing to because you've gotten it. You're sincere. And I don't know about this group right here today, here in 2022 at High Peak Baptist Church on this morning. I don't know for certain about your salvation. Only God and maybe you know for certain. But if you are sincere in your faith, you've got work to do. So what will you do? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, kind of give us an answer to this. It says, if your brother sins against you and you fell, uh, you go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take two, one or two others with you so that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he, if he doesn't pay attention to them, then tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. It might be time for us to confront some people who are not living a Christ-like lifestyle. That can be as little as they're not serving the Lord. They're not coming to church, or maybe they do come, but you know, they just, they're basically a sitting-in-the-pew Christian. If your only service to the Lord is sitting in a pew on Sunday morning, you're not faithful. You're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple of Christ? It's someone who makes disciples of Christ. How do you know you've become a disciple of Christ? Because you've helped make other people disciples of Christ. You share the gospel with them, you teach them the word, and you help inspire them to them then go out and find people. And you just keep repeating that over and over again. Right? Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, as the shampoo bottles always say. And when we think about this, we have a work to do, and it's really hard work, especially here in our region, because most people have some connection to the church. You don't know how many people I meet when I talk to about this, and they were like, oh, yeah, I got saved when I was seven years old in Bible school or in a revival. And I say, really? Did you ever serve the Lord? Well, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I went to church for a little bit after that. So you're saying from when you, the time when you were seven years old or maybe 17 years old, after you got baptized, you never really served the Lord after that? You've never done anything to serve the Lord? Well, I mean, I pray every night. Do you really? You know, there's a lot of Christians who don't even pray every night. Do you really pray every night? They say they do, but there's no evidence. There is no fruit of a lifestyle of following Jesus by making disciples of others. And so what I've started doing, and I've told you this before, is I've started using the parable of the sower. And I just ask you this question. I tell the story. You know, the sower went out and sowed, and uh, he threw some of the seed out. Some of it fell on the path. You know, when it falls on the path, what happens? People walk all over it, and it dies very quickly. It gets burned up. Those people, they're not saved. You know, maybe they prayed a prayer, maybe they got dunked, or maybe they just out and out rejected it. I'm not believing that stuff. The second group, they're the pebbles. There's no roots because they tried to grow roots and 
They didn't really have any sincere truth. It was all about themselves, all about losing or, or not uh, having to go to heaven. I'm sorry, let me say that again. It's all about themselves. It's about not having to go to hell when they die. That's all they cared about. And so when they try to start growing, nothing happens. They only got a taste. So you're either the path, or you're the pebbles, or you're among the pricklies. What's that? That's the weeds. And the weeds grow up around you as you're trying to grow, and it chokes the life out of you. You know, this is the only one of the first three that I think might be saved, but we don't know. We're not sure about it because what happens, it chokes the life out of them and they don't produce any fruit for the kingdom of God. But then there's the fourth kind, you know, the potting soil, <laughs> the good soil, the best kind. It's got all kinds of nutrients in it. It's all good to go. It's also the kind, you know, if you have a garden and you've... Uh, made sure your garden was tilled real nice and you feed it with all kinds of stuff. And there's lots of rain and it, it's perfect. You're the good soil. What did he say? He said the good soil will produce 30, 60, even 100 fold. Are you producing fruit in your life? Are you producing in your life in a way that is beneficial to the kingdom of God? Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you and thanks for listening.